Welcome to Atmospheric Tales, a podcast that amplifies stories and experiences related to air pollution and climate change from around the world. I'm your host Shahzad Ghani and welcome to season 2 of Atmospheric Tales. Our interview for this episode is Katharina Monnier. Katharina is a PhD candidate in atmospheric and environmental sciences at the University of Edinburgh in the UK. She works on the impact of transport on urban air quality and is passionate about intersection of science, innovation and policy for building a sustainable world. Previously, she worked for the Joint Research Centre of the European Commission at the Sustainable Transport Unit. She holds a BSc and an MSc in physics from the University of Padua, Italy. Our guest today is a professional science communicator and a freelance scientific journalist. She has a BSc degree in communication and in biology and she completed a master in scientific journalism at CISA in Trieste, Italy. Her work as a scientific journalist appears in prominent Italian and international magazines and newspapers like Wired Italy, National Geographic, Nature Italy and Corriere della Sera and covers topics of biodiversity, sustainability and climate change. She collaborates with the European Parliament and other organizations in the development of communication strategies and project communication. She is currently pursuing a PhD in the program Future Earth: Climate Change and Societal Challenge at the University of Bologna and the Institute for Climate and Atmospheric Sciences. Her research focuses on climate change communication and public health. I'm excited to welcome our guest Sara Moraka. Welcome to the show, Katerina and Sara. Thank you Shazad for the introduction and for inviting me to the podcast. It is a great opportunity for me to be here interviewing uh, Sara Moraka. Thank you very much Sara for your participation at Atmospheric Tales. Thank you Katerina and thank you Shazam for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here. So Sara, I would start kick off with uh, an introduction to uh, scientific journalism asking you about uh, an introduction to climate change communication. So we know like nowadays that the, the scientific community is quite clear about climate change in the sense that we know that it's caused by human activity and uh, urgent action to tackle uh, this problem. But the scientific consensus uh, what we know today on causes and consequences um, of climate change um, have been incrementally improved uh, over the last decades so is not a knowledge we we knew from yesterday uh, to today. So my first question would be can you give us an overview of uh, the role of climate change communication that has played in this process and how it has evolved over the last decades alongside the advances of uh, scientific knowledge of climate change Thank you for the questions If we look at the attribution statement of the IPCC report starting from the 1990 until let's say seven or eight years ago we could observe that we have a huge difference from the statement from 1990 that was little observational evidence of a detectable anthropogenic influence on climate until eight years ago when the IPCC state it is extremely likely that more than half of the observed increase in global average surface temperature from 1951 to 2010 was caused by the anthropogenic increase in greenhouse gases so we have a strong message coming out from the ipcc report we can see that over time the ipcc has given a clear message we are increasingly sure that humanity is the cause of 
of climate change. And this is also emerged from analysis of the literature. There is a very famous one literature review from about 10 years ago, which made clear that 97% of the paper that this researcher take into account supported that anthropogenic origin of climate change, while 3% did not. The media clearly played a great part in the climate conversation, both in how they handled this uncertainty and how they balanced the issue. From a journalistic point of view, if we not reach a certain level of consensus, we have not a news. If we reach a certain degree of certainty, we can think about, okay, let's do an article about this fact. But then, as a journalist, you need to balance the conversations that is coming from the scientific community. So if in my article I have a scientist convinced that climate change has anthropogenic origins, it is, let's say, policy correct to also include uh, the opinions of those who think differently. So from a journalistic perspective, this way to do is something that it's uh, normal for a newspaper or in a magazine, because you have to balance the different voices you have in a conversation. Referring to the study I have mentioned before, we can understand that if I present a scientist that trusts in climate change as anthropogenic consequence, and we have another that think differently, the public that has not a scientific background could understand that half of the scientific community has an opinion and the other half has a total different opinion. So from a journalistic point of view, it's very hard to manage this balance. But in the end, you have also to understand that if we have a reader, if we have a normal public that has no great knowledge about climate change, they could understand that the balance is totally different from 97% and 3% that we have mentioned in the beginning. I think that this type of balance has a great role in the first part of the climate change communication. We have a terminology coming from Bakoff, that it's a famous scholar of climate change communication. He say that this is a balance as a bias. So from a journalistic point of view, the journalist is searching to give uh, a different opinion to the public. But if we have to be responsible and to think about how the public perception could be impacted by such an information, we have to think and think again on how we decide to structure our newspaper article or magazine article. So I think that from a journalistic perspective and also a scientist perspective, you have a lot of things in science during the last decades and the newspaper and the magazine and the TV that are the main sources for climate change information and climate change knowledge for the public, they have translate the scientific uncertainty in something that uh, creates a lot of bias in the public. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. I think that this insight balances a bias, as, as you mentioned, it's a very good point. So Sarah, you have a dual profile because you are both a science communicator and journalist and a researcher, and you are now merging this role in, in your PhD. 
We have now talked about the role of professional communicators and journalists communicating climate change. Based on your direct experience, what is and should be the role of scientists instead in the communication of climate change? So scientists are in a privileged position to communicate in the sense that uh, many pools and many research confirm us that the public generally has a fairly high level of trust in scientific institutions and in scientists. So as you may know, the trust is an important factor in communication. I mean, if I trust in a certain source of information, I use the, what the literature call a heuristic way. So if I trust to the source, I have no interest to search for, confirm that this type of information coming from the trusted sources is true because I trust the sources. It is a sort of uh, heuristic short path to be sure that my information is trustful and true. In this way, generally speaking, scientists and scientific institutions have a good level of trust. However, we must reflect on how the researcher communicates and above all, why they want to communicate. We cannot think of communicating with the, I don't know, the housewives as we will communicate with our colleague PhD scholar. So should the fact that the housewife cannot understand the scientific jargon make them excluded from the dialogue on climate issue or any type of scientific issue. In my opinion, and it's my personal opinion, the answer is no. So as a researcher, it is my opinion that is our duty to create a dialogue with society, to open up two arenas that are still too distant from the academic world. But recently, I've talked to colleagues who think that it's their responsibility to do research, not to communicate the research. So there is nothing wrong with thinking this, because we are in a world where we have excellent science communicators who can be, let's say, mediators between researchers and society. I think it's also important asking ourselves why we communicate, because I think uh, the responses that come from this question is fundamental because this also affects the way we communicate. Speaking uh, as a journalist, I recently had an interesting conversation with a colleague, an Italian colleague, and I asked him, hey, you know what, I have summed up something uh, sometimes when I write an article because, yeah, I'm thinking a lot about could I be sure that my articles are really useful for the public? And this is a doubt that I have today. And I would like to confirm to myself, yes, sir, your articles are very useful to your public, but I'm not sure. And I think I feel a responsibility to be useful for the public, both as a researcher and as a journalist. But in the end, he replied to me, I write for myself. So I think you have two different positions. Okay, me, I'm trying to, let's say, be useful. And my colleague, he writes for himself. And it's nothing wrong if you decide to write for yourself. This question could be also applied to researchers. Why they choose to communicate? And it's a very important question. The point is to be aware of your role. And if you think that you could be 
not a good communicator of if you are, have no interest to communicate and you are a, a researcher you can ask your institution hey i need some help communicating my science but i think that the public clearly deserve to be informed about their research but in the end understanding why we communicate affect how we communicate and in my personal opinion and i want to highlight it's my personal opinion both journalistic and researcher has to have responsibility with the public. I mean, I have to be responsible if I'm a researcher and I have to be responsible if I'm a journalist trying to do my best to be in contact with the society. Because in the end, I'm a researcher, I'm a journalist, but I'm also part of the society. And so as a part of the society, I have a certain grade of responsibility. Thanks, Sara. I think that's very interesting uh, highlight about clear communication and effective communication comes maybe from an awareness of the communicator itself. So understanding why you are communicating if you're both a researcher or a journalist. So taking from this last question, as a journalist, uh, can you give one tip uh, to scientists to improve their climate change communication and vice versa as a scientist? Uh, can you give journalists one tip for improving their climate change communication practice? Okay, as a journalist, uh, I have to mention that sometimes I have some uh, lessons in my institute, sometimes I'm also trying to help some uh, researchers, some colleagues to communicate properly their research or their study. And I have to admit that uh, I feel I'm lucky because I have found a lot of researcher colleagues that they have some doubt about the fact that they are good communicator, but they want to try. So from this experience, I would suggest uh, if you are a researcher and you are scary to communicate because you can mistake, it's always good to try to do something new. If it's your first time, you could ask to your institution some help. Usually institution has press office or science communicator to help a researcher to communicate in a proper way. Sometimes it's a matter of researcher, they don't feel self-confidence about communication. And I think that we have always to learn new things. Also, if these things are far from our research field and our daily experience. So my suggestion coming from my personal experience is don't be shy. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. Even if you are doing something new, you can make a mistake. When you are in contact with the society, with the public, you are doing something great. And uh, as a scientist uh, to journalist, uh, it's hard because I have to admit that, uh, at least in Italy, the journalistic world is not simple. You have a lot of things going on, like my colleagues are less and less paid from the newspaper and from the magazine. So they want to write uh, an article in a few hours because they know they are going not to be well paid for the article. But in the general sense, I would suggest uh, to try to search for personal space. To me, I write mainly about environmental things and climate issues. So try to search for an angle, a science angle, 
that you like, that you can be an expert in this field. So you can use your expertise also for many other activities. Because I know that as a journalist, we have to deal with a difficult economic issue, at least in Italy. So it's difficult to ask to a journalist that he could take 50 euro for an article. Hey, do a good job because it's your duty to do a good job. My suggestion is uh, try to focus on uh, a couple of expertise that you can bring with you and write about this and also use this knowledge, this expertise in different ways. Thanks, Sarah. So I think the advice you give uh, to me as, as a researcher, probably practice make perfect. That's probably the way yeah, to absolutely. go. <laughs> you, Sarah, have uh, international experience actually in uh, scientific journalism and communications also for your working with institutions uh, like the European Parliament. But you have invested the most uh, with the Italian audience. We know like that the rest of the world, uh, Italy is already seeing the effect of climate change and quite heavily. We have extreme summer heat waves, uh, floods, significant changes in the rain pattern and so on. And not to mention that the, the Po valleys in Italy, North Italy, is also one of the most polluted areas in Europe. Based on both your work as a journalist and as, as a researcher, can you give us an overview of the major impacts of climate change in Italy and the uh, perception that these uh, impacts have among the citizens? So climate change impacts in, in Italy is strong and will be stronger in the future because we know that uh, the Mediterranean area is one of the, the areas in the world when we expect to have great impact from climate change. From what I can see, we have a lot of heat waves, as you mentioned. We have a lot of drought in the south. But uh, yeah, you mentioned Po Valley, that is exactly where I live. And we have a lot of pollution. So it's not an happy situation. I'm not sure that citizens are properly aware about climate change here. This is my personal opinion. You have to think about uh, the communication we have. There are a lot of alarmistic frames in the journalistic work here in Italy. And as you may know, the alarmistic tone of voice don't create a, a long-term engagement. And aside from that, uh, we have not specific uh, research or study about uh, Italian perception of climate change. You have a lot of studies of this type coming from US, UK, and Northern uh, Europe. But in Italy, we have a lack of understanding about the social challenge of climate change. I'm also happy because I'm working in the side, but it's hard to say we know that people understand climate change. It's hard to say I know that people are aware of climate change. In my experience, if you want to speak with them, you can create a dialogue locally, maybe, for example, Bologna, where I study, where my PhD activity is based, is a very clever city. They do a lot about engagement in climate change conversation. There are a lot of activities going on there. But for example, if I think about Milano, that is typically the business city of Italy, we don't have a lot of activity in Milano about climate change engagement. And so in my mind, I don't think we have a good communication style on this issue. And for sure, the consequence is that the public is not properly aware The only study I know is from my institute and is recent, uh, is about the 
air pollution perception, that it's a very specific thing. And uh, this study that it's called the Sephira, coming from the study, I know that uh, the public perception about air quality is very bad. They state that their quality just depends from the traffic. So they don't know nothing about the agricultural impact on air pollution. And as we know, it's very important. So I think that in the same way, we could think that they are not properly aware about climate change. But this is coming from my experience because we don't have any type of data. Yes, I agree uh, with many points you touched, Sarah, because also sometimes uh, I read Italian newspapers and, and I can compare, you know, now I'm based in the UK and I can compare to the UK journals. And, and what struck me is that Italian journals uh, mention actually extreme events, so they are always almost in the front page, but there is almost never the link to, oh, these extreme events are more likely due to climate change. It seems like that are extreme event by itself and there is no making the link to climate change. You know, I also would add that uh, some research about climate change, they state that uh, as a communicator, we had to focus on local impact and we have also to speak about co-benefit. So, for example, speaking about just my research topic, the public health seems to be a good frame to talk about climate change because people generally really care about the health. So thinking about what is relevant in our daily life could be the key to speak with people about climate change. Yes, I agree that the way of mentioning co-benefit and linking to your actual daily life, you know, air pollution or climate change on local community, you know, until we see polar bears or bushfires in Australia or California, we, we think that it's something that is not touching us, but bringing back to the local, I think it's very important. You, Sarah, touched already a bit on the current state of climate change communication in Italy. So you said that there are uh, not much uh, studies about the awareness of the public and also the economical sometimes difficulty that journalists and science communicators have in doing their job in an effective way. So do you think that both those are major challenges communicating climate change in Italy or do you think there are others that are important for the state of climate change communication in Italy? Oh, you have also general science communication in, in, Italy, in Italy. We have a great community on science communication, but I think the general situation is not good. I also have some colleagues that have founded a magazine called Radar Magazine, and it's a very good publication, but they have to deal with the fact that they have to have some sponsorship and uh, it's not easy to find a way to communicate in a proper way and do it as a profession because if you want to do something as a profession you have to be paid and in general I would say that the thing we are highlighted are the most important. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. And zooming out a bit, uh, I think we, we talked about a lot of journalists, but talking about 21st century communication, so we are in the era of social media, Netflix, and uh, on-demand contents. We have seen a lot of the rise of documentaries about climate change sustainability. I think the first one I've saw was uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's one a few years ago. And also platforms uh, like Instagram, Twitter, and podcasts like this one <laughs> are hosting many different people from many backgrounds trying to raise awareness about climate change and advocating for sustainability. 
What do you think uh, as a science communicator about uh, these new means and channels for communicating climate change? And what is uh, their potential in our society? Can they kind of replace the traditional communication means for what concerns climate change or not? This is a very good question and I love it. So the problem is that I would say in Italy, because we have a bad journalism in general, few and few people are buying magazine and newspaper. The situation is different, for example, in US, because as you may know, for example, the number of subscribers of a New York Times are more and more year after year because they have a very good example of journalism, independent, really cared. Here, I can't say that we have the same with journalism. So this is a, a first fact, comparing Italy with journalism in the US. Then you mentioned new ways. Yes. And I would also add new community because we have social media, we have movies, we have a lot of things going on, Netflix. And if you go and look at the literature, the literature dedicated to theater and movies about climate change, it's few, it's very poor. And I'm working on my first literature review and I'm trying to highlight that we need different type of conversation if we want to engage people. If people are not reading newspaper, it's not a clever choice to write just on newspaper about climate change. We have to find other solutions. We have to find out other way to communicate. In general, we don't know a lot about the impact of these alternative forms of communication because the literature is very scarce until today. And I would say that social media are powerful and useful. You have a lot of, let's say, influencer, but I would say science communicators that are dedicating themselves to the Instagram direct or maybe doing a meeting on Facebook or they are trying to do something different and my question is about are we sure that we are reaching a broader public with the social media maybe yes but i think we need also different type of conversation for example i have in my mind because it's my phd project the role of the doctor the role of the medical operators and in some way i think that also working locally is very important if you have someone that could explain you, hey, you know what, the climate will be impact your health and you trust in this person because it's your family doctor. It's something that uh, it's not a newspaper, it's not a social media, but for example, if I have to think about my parents, they use very few the social media and they, for sure, they don't read a lot of newspapers. Maybe they are going a lot of times during the month to our doctor. So if you have some peer, let's say some person has a peer that could be engaged as an advocate for climate, it would be also a part of a different style of conversation. Just a couple of days ago, I saw on LinkedIn, I think that really, I was thinking, wow, I would like to do this job. And was like about ecclesiastical association in Europe. They are really engaging a person for working about, we want that you work for, engage our Christian community around Europe for climate change. 
in general, I'm an atheist, but I found this something very important because you have to communicate to different public. The public is not just the reader of the newspaper, it's not just the people that use the social media, the public is also outside the media. And we, we can create a great bias if we think that we can address climate change communication just using media in general, newspaper or social media. I would say that we are a part of a society. It could be important to involve social actors that we trust in to advocate climate change message. So, for example, medical doctor and priest. For example, speaking about Italy, the medical doctor is an important part of our community. The priest is an important part of our community. And maybe you can engage different type of public using this type of peer. Yeah, I really agree. I really like the point you made. Communication and climate change communication can go through advocates that are already within well-established communities. Like for Italy, for example, we think a lot about health and uh, there is a large part of the population that profess themselves as Christians. So also I think the Pope has and all the Christianity has a big role in, in the communication and really love the point you made that it's also possible to engage through advocates that are ready within well-established communities and also another way to communicate climate change more effectively. So last questions that uh, I think it's more broadly so we zoom out a bit from Italy. What do you think are um, the main challenges that encountered in communicating climate change in today's global political and social landscape? How do you and, and your fellow communicator can persevere? Oh yeah, it's very hard questions because sometimes I don't want to persevere, just no, it's impossible. <laughs> I think it's not simple. From a, a communicator or a journalistic point of view, you have to trust in your work because if you have to judge your work from the aware you create until today and from the reaction of public, I have to stop to do journalistic work and to write about climate change. But in the end, from my point of view, it's something that I trust in. So I want to try to create an awareness and communicating climate change in general is really hard because we have limited time. We have limited attention as a human and You have to think that in general, people have to take care about their work, about their family, and the day is just 24 hours. And uh, why they have to care about climate change? This could seem very simple, but it's one of the biggest challenge. You have limited time and limited attention for media and for listening to the others. And so it's not about journalistic scoop or apocalyptic title that we can begin uh, a clever conversation with the public. I think uh, it's a long-term goal and in a way we have to be set on the chance that not everybody is responding to the call we are launching as a communicator and we are launching as a scientific community. I think that we need really to engage other people, to engage other type of community, as we mentioned before. And it's not a simple question that I would say that in general, we just focus about some meeting that sometimes is very self-referral because sometimes researchers 
organized meeting or webinar for the publics, but in the end, they are speaking just one to each other. And I think we have to listen. One of the main challenges is that how much we have listened about climate change from the public. We want to reach as journalists and as a researchers. I like to speak with people in general in my life. And sometimes I just begin a conversation. Hey, you know what? I'm researchers. I'm doing this type of research. What do you think about climate change? This happened now. The people that live in my building, sometimes we speak and I try to let them understand what I'm doing in my profession. And I have found that they have something to say, but it's the first time I ask them. So sometimes I think we have to listen and trying to understand how to better improve our communication strategy. I completely agree that uh, probably listening also is a very important part for uh, the communication process. So thinking more about communicating climate change as a two-way system rather than one way provided by researcher or or professional communicator and, and probably start trying to give voice also for all citizens uh, and and people involved, because at the end, climate change, I think, is something that involves everybody on this planet. So thank you, Sarah, for chatting. It has been uh, very nice to talk with you. Thank you for inviting me, and uh, it was a pleasure to meet you for this podcast. With that, I would like to thank our guests, Sarah Maraca, and our interviewer, Katerina Monyo, for joining us on this episode of Atmospheric Tales. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on our social media channels to stay updated about our upcoming episodes. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in.